Good morning. Delighted you could be with us today. I hope your day is going well and glad you enjoyed our music that we had this morning. I love to hear them singing like that, don't you? And uh, how we can all put it all together. It's just magic to me. So I'm delighted you could be with us this morning. Uh, today, I'd like to talk about the godly life. And if you had asked me that when I was younger, when I was uh, going through my teenage years, I would have said, what? What? I don't know. The godly life, I, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to get through. What? And Lord, don't call me to do that. Don't make me go godly life. I just, that seems for old folks. And it wouldn't be something for me, you know, or the godly life. So, uh, you know, so then I would duck and kind of, find my way around. I remember my Bible teacher one time used to ask me, well, Bill, how's your prayer life? And I would always just bluff it and say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And then get out of his way and get away from him as quick as I could because I didn't want to answer him that I didn't really have one. And so I would duck and get away. And same thing with a godly life. If somebody asked me, how was your spiritual relationship with Christ? Oh, good. And then I would duck. We might just try to say, well, can't we all just get along and just, just let it go with that? Well, this morning, I'd like you to look at 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter, excuse me, just say that again. 2 Peter chapter 1. Sorry about that. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'd like for you to focus with me on some words that Peter had to say. Now, which Peter is this? Which Peter is this? This is Simon Peter, he said. It starts right off verse 1. A servant and an apostle or a follower or a messenger sent from Christ Jesus. And this is the Simon Peter of the New Testament. Simon Peter that was a disciple of Christ. This is the very same fellow that had gone out and walked on the water when he saw Jesus and Jesus at night, and he walked out on the water, and he was doing so well, walking on the water till he took his eyes off of Jesus. Remember this story? If not, it's a fabulous story to read in the New Testament. And he turned, and he looked, and, and he started to fall into the water, and Jesus picked him up out of the water, and they walked back to the boat. It's that one. It's the one that was at Caesarea Philippi when they were resting, and Jesus said, who do men say that I am there? I've talked about a little earlier. And he was, uh, Peter was the one who proudly proclaimed in front of all the disciples, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was, he said boldly to them. It's the same Peter that when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was arrested, he ran like a chicken and he, he hid himself and he went in, he tried to follow Jesus up to where Jesus was being imprisoned and tried but he denied the Lord three times. It was a terrible thing and a blot that he had on himself that he carried for the rest of his life. We know from other writings other than the scriptures that when Peter would go to different places, they would say, oh, ah, that's Peter. That's the one who denied the Lord. And he kind of had it like a label on his back. Maybe you have a label on your back, which other people have put on you, sadly. But this is also the Peter that Jesus forgave and he restored. At the end of the Gospel of John, we have the fabulous story of how Peter was brought back into the fellowship of the disciples, which we would not have known. So this is the Simon Peter that wrote this particular letter. We don't have a lot of writings from Peter, just a little bit. And here's just a taste of it. 
But it appears that what he's writing here in 2 Peter, that Peter knows whether the Lord revealed or not, he kind of hints at that, revealed to him that he was coming to the end of his life. Later, Peter was crucified, if you know the story. So Peter wrote these things and said these things, and they give an urgency to us. So verse 1, we go back in verse 1, he said, to those going on, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, excuse me, in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we can look at that and we can say he was speaking not only to those he wrote to immediately, but he also was appealing to all of us, all believers, this letter applies to. If you look at that carefully, you can see to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. I want to take a minor detour here just a little bit. So just, just hold that thought. A little minor detour as we talk about this today. In our world, you read the newspaper or turn on the television and watch the evening news. You might be wondering what in the world is going on in our world right now. We're having not only election coming up, but we're having certainly racial tension within our country again. And there's a lot of talk back and forth, a lot of political talk that's happening back and forth where where if you've noticed, I've watched closely and I've noticed that sometimes things that people have said are taken way out of context. That the person said something, but they only took a phrase or two and made it appear to say exactly the opposite of what was being spoken. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. Often we see that in the, in the news. And so it makes us suspicious. It makes us uncomfortable to say, well, can I trust trust the paper can i trust the news and it gives us all a a little bit of a hesitancy a, a an idea of well can i trust that particular source paul simon who uh, wrote many things many songs during the uh, 60s and 70s said in one of his songs he said a man sees what he wants to see and he disregards the rest Preachers have to be incredibly careful and when they are looking at the scriptures because they can take into the scriptures what they think they want to see out of it and pull out of it and take the idea and the concept completely out of context. It can happen to anyone, but preachers have to be incredibly careful. Bible students have to be very careful. Here and now in this passage, we have to be very careful that we don't take and read into it something that is not there. And it is our tendency to do that. Come back with me to 2 Peter 1, verse 1. And we're going to pick it up again. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and the Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Look at that. We have received faith 
from the righteousness of Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. Now, we think we might find that in Paul, but here Peter is reflecting that same kind of teaching, that same kind of great doctrinal position that a received, we've received, we've received our faith, our trust in Christ, our knowledge of Christ. We've received it. He's given it to us from the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus. He's transferred something to us. He's given to us something. His divine power, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything. He has given us everything for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Whoops, we've got to stop there. Because if you don't, you miss what is really being said. You've got to pick that up. Let's back up just a little bit. Verse 3, look at that carefully. His divine power has given us everything for a godly life. His divine power. You see, when I was young, I thought, well, if I wanted to live a godly life, if I wanted to be a godly person, I better get my act together, and I'm hoping something good will happen. And then pretty soon I gave up, as I talked about last week. But here Peter is saying to us in, in this very little passage here in verse, uh, verse 3, his divine power, Christ's divine power, has given us, has given us, do you see that? Everything we need for a godly life. His divine power, do you see right there? Everything we need through a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. A received faith that is the foundation to knowledge. You cannot come to know Christ really who he is and understand him if you do not have that faith, the trust to understand and read, to have that building of the way. You see, it becomes a pathway to knowing Christ. Through faith, coming to know Christ has to be received. It's given as a gift. from It's a divine gift to us. The gift of faith. We think of it as something we have to do ourselves. But it appears that as we look, as we read, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. As you read, you come to faith. I know some skeptics that as they were, as they were young men, they were growing up and they were not going to be a re any religion. They, they were given up, but they decided to read the Bible. And as they were reading the Bible... They came to understand who Jesus was, and it completely changed their lives. By reading, knowing, see, by the knowledge came as faith, as they received that gift of faith. Therefore, we follow the pathway of him. When I was a young man, uh, I remember one time, and I was in Pathfinders, which is like Boy Scouts. And I remember one time as we were out camping, one time over the weekend, that on a Saturday afternoon, the counselor who was with us said, all right, let's learn together how to cut a trail and how to follow a trail, to mark a trail out through the woods. And there was a lot of land that we had that belonged to this, uh, to this farmer. Very wooded, very nice, very green. So he asked two of us, myself and my friend, if we would just learn how to mark a trail and how to make it go. And he gave us 30 minutes to get started before the rest would come after us to try to catch us. So we took off and went 
And pretty soon we learn how to mark a tree, as you see an example there. How to mark a tree, how to set a path, how to put stones down so that the people who followed after us could find the trail through the woods where we went and end up. About an hour later, we came into camp, but they were pretty quick. And about three or four minutes after we got back to camp, there they were. Marking the trail to go was a great gift that he gave to us. Well, Jesus has marked the trail. Jesus has gone ahead and marked the trail for us. You see, following Jesus leads to a godly life. Did you get that? Following Jesus leads to a godly life. Knowing Jesus leads to a godly life. In 1976, Marjorie Lewis Lloyd wrote a little book called, If It's So Simple, Why Is It So Hard? You can get it at Amazon still, still available. If It's So Simple, Why Is It So Hard? She was the ghostwriter for George Vandeman. She had quite a way with words and making herself clear in writing. And I picked up that book and read that book. It was quite a book about why do we make this, why is it so, uh, if you say this, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to go? If it's so simple, quite a book. If you haven't read it, I invite you to do so. But in the book, you can discover we are the ones who make it hard, not God. God makes the path easy. God says, come and rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, he said. So it's not, it's not God that's making it hard to be in a relationship with him. It is us. It is our work that we make it harder. We put stuff all in the way of where it goes. Karl Marx was one who would say, religion is an opiate. In other words, it was a, a drug. He laughed and scoffed at religion that people had. Says, well, you just have that so it'll soothe your conscience, so you'll feel good, so you'll think the world is better than it is. A few psychologists have picked up that same theme and say religion is an escape mechanism where one isolates oneself from the evil of the world. And I would guess that could be true because through escaping, following Christ, we do escape all the horrors of the world by avoiding sins that would get us ensnared and trap us. So there is a bit of truth to that, but certainly not what they meant. I would conclude that they don't know Jesus or they would never have said that. They don't know Jesus. I just happened to catch before I came here that Don Lemon, who uh, Lemon was, who is the uh, commentator, a Bible, a uh, news guy on CNN, and he was in conversation and he made this statement, and he said, "Well, even Jesus wasn't perfect." I, I couldn't help but respond. I think, wait a minute, Don. You obviously don't know the Bible. You obviously don't know Jesus' life. Jesus was perfect. By saying that, you show your ignorance of Scripture. It made me clear to him, he did not know Jesus. He did not know Jesus. I was pastoring up in Silverton, Oregon. And it was getting to be Christmas time. It was in the fall. And and Silverton is known for lots of Christmas tree farms, which they come and harvest every year and 
haul out truck after truck and take them to Southern California or wherever and sell them, these Christmas trees, to others for quite a profit. So this, this man who came to my church, he'd had a, a friend's church background. He came and his wife, he was a man in his 60s, and he enjoyed our service and worshiped together. And as Christmas was getting near and as he had been harvesting some of his trees, he said, Pastor, I'd like to give you a Christmas tree for the church. And I said, well, that would be great. He said, it could be a big one. And I said, well, good. That would be good. Let's try that. So I said, well, come on out to my place and we'll pick one out. Okay. So I went out to his place in the hills over around Silverton and we walked around his Christmas tree lot that looks very similar to what you see in the picture. And as we were walking around and so forth, we picked out a taller tree because the trees get too tall. They can't be used in a home, but they can be used in a church. So we picked out a tree, and I said, yeah, we'll take that one. He says, I'll bring it down to the church and get it set up. And I said, oh, that was great. And as we were walking back towards his house, he said to me, you know, Pastor, for the first time in my life, and I've been a Christian all my life, but for the first time in my life, I'm able to say, I know God. I had never had anybody really say that out loud just like that. I know God. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't saying anything other than in his relationship had gone to a place. His faith in God had led him to a knowledge of Jesus and who the Savior was. And he said, I feel God's presence like I have never felt before. Well, we walked on and I left his home. And several months later, I found out why this man came to this experience in his life. He is in stage four cancer. And it made him really think about his life and his relationship to God. And instead of rebelling and being angry, it drew him closer to him. By trusting in Jesus with his life, with his faith, he drew closer to him. It was a powerful lesson to me. Powerful lesson. You see, Peter knew Jesus. Not only had walked with him, not only heard his teachings, not only had seen him crucified, seen him buried, seen him resurrected, seen him ascend into heaven, but he knew Jesus. And that reflection of that led him to write these important words to us, back to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Look at that. You may participate in the divine nature of God. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires, which... We see the psychologist talking about. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You say, well, there you are, pastor. There it is for make your effort. Wait a minute. It's in the context of what he is writing about the gift that faith has been given to you. See, 
that gift of faith and trusting, as you grow in knowledge, as you get in knowledge of knowing Christ, as a result of getting closer to Christ, that is the result. Faith, goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. There it is. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities, in interesting and increasing measure, you will keep from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if you possess these qualities, these gifts that have been given you, if you draw closer to Christ, if you look and seek after him, a relationship with him, then that will keep you ineffective and, unpro and keep you from being unproductive in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blinded, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. They have let that go and forgotten about it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, he concludes, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive the rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. The welcoming, the gift of faith given to us to bring us to knowledge of him. And as we grow in knowledge with him, we get those other gifts because we are close to him. Just like that man in Silverton said, I now can say, I know God. I know God. When I was in college, I had a professor, Leslie Harding. And as we would go through our lectures and Bible studies together and opening of the different passages and different books of the Bible, he challenged us, no matter whether we were in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, see if you can find Jesus everywhere you look. And so I began to look at that. I began to look, no matter where I looked, I could find Jesus' hand, the revelation of Jesus throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament as well as New Testament. Some folks don't understand that the Old Testament reveals Jesus as well, but it does the whole book. The whole book leads us that way. I would invite you that in taking this journey of to know Jesus and to get acquainted with him, that if you would like to have those attributes of of love, of affection, of honesty, of all those great, great gifts that are given to us, you draw closer to Jesus. Make your search to find Jesus. And in that search of faith, in that search of making to find Jesus, those things, those attributes will come to you. You will reflect Jesus to others as you draw closer to Jesus. That's the goal. You see, Peter drew closer to Jesus, you see. And when he was forgiven and restored, he recognized his Lord. He wanted to be close to the Lord, be with him. Behold, what love Jesus has for you. 
What incredible love and gift he has to give to you. I would challenge you as you look in the Bible, as you look, that you make that journey, and you make that journey helping you to find Christ as your Savior, but also to let your trust and faith in him lead you into knowing him, find him. So when I open the Bible, my search always is, how can I find Jesus? Looking for Jesus. And his story, his revelation, his salvation is revealed to me in the power of Scripture. Yes, the Bible is an old book, but it is alive. And it brings to us the great truth of Christ. Would you do that? Dear Lord, I thank you for your scripture and that it reveals Jesus to us. It is that look to find Jesus that we can grow in grace. I thank you that you've given us faith. It's a gift, a divine gift. By your grace, you give it to us. It's not something that we earn, but something you give as we make our journey to find you. And may we continue Every day, draw that journey to be closer to you, that we may reflect you to others. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Spirit, for giving us that permission and that power by your divine righteousness, by your goodness, that we can live lives that follow Jesus. In his precious name, amen.